Altitude's undefeated. Crap, maybe we'll punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I looked like I was running and started to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Rapids fans. You are listening to Holding the High Line with Rabbi in Red. My name is Matt Pollard. It is Thursday, November 16th, 2023. Um, just about not quite two and a half hours ago, myself, Brendan Plona of the Never Post, and Tom Bogert of The Athletic reported that the Colorado Rapids, Rapids are imminently about to announce Chris Armis as the 10th head coach in club history. Joining me now to talk about that, my favorite lonely middle-aged sports blogging loser writer in his mother's basement, Rabbi Mark Goodman. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the truth, baby. That's what I am. I am actually in the back room tonight because we have a guest in the basement, so... Who's the guest in the basement, Mark? Who is occupying, who is living in the Michael Azira Memorial podcasting basement? If, I, if, if I'm a little quieter than normal, it's because I'm trying not to keep to wake the kids up. But the reality is the kids are, because they're both turning into teenagers, they are both up. So it's 1022 here in Denver, Colorado, in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The kids have to go to school tomorrow and neither of them cares. Actually, I take that back. Etta and Noah are going to New York City to go see musicals for the next four days, um, which so which is why I get to do occasionally do things like spend the weekend in Columbus to go see a soccer game. So um, my buddy Randy is in the basement. Randy is uh, our good friend from San Francisco. We've known Randy since before Iggy was born. He's visiting friends here in Pittsburgh and hanging out in the city and, and doing all things Pittsburgh. So, uh, we're, we're, uh, we've been, we've been displaced to the back room. We're in the, uh, Sam Cronin, um, extension, uh, to the back of the house. Uh, so we've, we've, we've relocated to alternate rooms. Although Matt, I think it's a little bit worrisome potentially renaming every room in my house after former Colorado Rapids players from that Greatest of great teams, the 2016 Western Conference champ, uh, Western Conference runners-up. Um, but that is, you know, I think you and I will agree that is basically the Rapids' most successful team uh, of the decade, uh, of the last decade. 2016? I would say I'd put 2021 above that. Oh, I think nice. winning the, I think, I think winning the regular, mm, well, so if we're if we're counting the postseason, because that 2016 team actually won a playoff game or actually advanced right. in the playoffs, I don't know. It's uh, it's one or the other. There's obviously still the right. 2010 team that you could pull from, and I I think maybe not necessarily the 97 team specifically, but there's a lot no, of I'm the, saying in the last 10 years, only in the last in the last 10 years. years. You don't get to pick the team that won the the MLS Cup because that's like there's no doubt that it's 2010 is the best. 
then I, I think it's you pick between those two. But uh, yeah. in, in the spirit yeah, of that, sure. Mark, um, the next time one of us travels, I don't know if you've been following, but Danny Earls is absolutely crushing it in the comic book art space. So we might have to rename the uh, HTHL hotel art segment the after Danny Earls, I think. But I wonder how much money we need to scrape together to get him to do like a four panel comic for holding the high line. Uh, it might be worth it. I, I That need, is not um, a terrible idea. We should DM him. No, we should. Um, I have. I, I I was on the Danny Earls comic book train very early because my buddy, um, the editor of Pittsburgh Soccer Now, uh, John Krasinski, uh, wrote a book about something called The Miracle on the Mon, which was a, uh, a regular season um, Pittsburgh uh, Riverhounds soccer match. I think it was in 2013 where they came from like four goals to nil behind to win 5-4. Uh, and it was this epic game, and he wrote an entire book about it, and Danny Earls illustrated the cover. And it was really his first like major professional work. So Danny Earls is kind of local Pittsburgh royalty on so many levels, and the fact that he's also Rapids royalty for being on the, I think it was the 2010 team he was on. He right? was. He's got a ring. 2008 to 2010 or something like that. So Danny Earls is is uh, is one of the many pieces of glue that holds the Rapids and the Riverhounds together, in addition to uh, <laughs> less less uh, impressive uh, Mikel Williams and way, way less, less impressive Joshua Gatt. Joshua Gatt was on the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. I did not. Oh, he played like three games and was hurt most of the time and had a bad attitude and was terrible. And that's the Joshua Gatt experience in a nutshell. Although with the Rapids, he was less injured and less terrible. So with the Riverhounds, more injured, more terrible and with a worse attitude. But oh well, what are you going to do? Matt, let's talk about some other things. Let's talk about important things. Yeah, so first of all, listeners, I have to let you know, so we are technically recording this on Thursday, but there's some things in place whereby uh, this podcast will not be released until the official press release has gone out on Friday morning, officially announcing Chris Armas as the next head coach of the Colorado Rapids, and that then frees me up to have some of the on-the-record but delayed conversations that I have had more recently uh, to uh, have that be something that can be discussed as well. So we are coming to you from the past in that regard. But so, um, so Mark, let's talk about it. I've obviously had, um, you know, a number of off the record conversations, um, you know, leading up to this uh, for now that this is somewhat obsolete, given that the coaching news, uh, the cat, that cat is out of the bag. If you want to read up on what happened with Jelk Wilshire and some of the things behind that and some of the things that may have affected the coaching search, I have an article out on Burgundy Wave. I will include that in the show notes, but um, Mark had a lot of off the record conversations leading up to that <clears throat> reporting and then some more, obviously, with the news that happened today and then um, some other stuff, including some availability with pork smith that we can go over but mark let's start with the just the the simple gut reaction which on twitter right now just scrolling through everybody asking what they think and getting rapids fans reactions to it it's generally negative i scrolled through for an article that will be out today if you're listening on friday november 17th listeners um asked uh where i scrolled through and i specifically looked mark on the original 
article tweet link that Bogert put out when he reported that Chris Armas was a finalist for the job to try and find one person defending him. Because say what you will about Chris Little and some of the weaknesses or lack of head coaching and most experience that you have, there are people... Not like you and me are in the media who interacted directly with Chris Little. There are Rapids fans. There are people in Seattle. There are other people in the MLS spaces who are like, Chris Little has the potential to be a future head coach in this league. There are a number of people, albeit mostly Rapids Arsenal supporters, who were defending and arguing in favor of Jack Wilshire. I don't know that there's that many of these people, Mark, but generally people in Vancouver and Portland think well of Pamoduka. There are some people who are willing to, they're like, it is hard, listeners. I could not find in the original comments of the Bogert reporting tweet from a couple of weeks ago and then quote tweets or quote posts on X I could I could find two posts that were you could perceive as neutral potentially positive but no one was defending this guy Mark and so just like gut reaction you look at all of his coaching experience he was an assistant with Red Bull in 2018, his original um, coaching uh, experience started uh, after he retired with Chicago Fire. With Chicago Fire, he goes back to his alma mater, Adelphi University, which I believe is on Long Island. It's somewhere in New York uh, to coach the women's team for a couple of years, and then he goes to Red Bull, reconnects with his buddy Jesse Marsh, who they were good buddies when they were playing at Chicago Fire. He then gets the permanent head coaching job in 2018. When Jesse decides to move to Europe, he inherits an absolutely stacked roster, goes on, wins a supporter shield, completely abandons his philosophy, and comes out in defensive 4-4-2 soccer on the, in the first leg at Atlanta of the Eastern Conference Finals that year. They lose. That ends up having them lose on aggregate. The team gradually deteriorates over the next two years. He gets fired. He goes to Toronto. He and Ali Curtis try to Red Bull TFC. It fails spectacularly. Then he goes to Manchester United. He's the assistant there under Ralph Ranick, the godfather of Gagan pressing, of pressing. There's conflicting reports out there that the Man United players didn't take him seriously, even nicknamed him Ted Lasso, because they thought that he was the American who was literally so underqualified it was a joke that he was there. And then he goes on, reunites with Jesse Marsh. Uh, to go to Leeds United. And so Mark has two people who have lost their jobs in the state of Colorado before. Networking is important. Sometimes it's who you know, not what you know. But there is a plausible argument, Mark, that in his last four jobs, they have all ended in disappointment and ultimately in failure. And two of those jobs he got because of direct Red Bulls connections. And the other two he got simply because he's good buddies with Jesse Marsh. And so how much of this guy's coaching career is potentially purely on the back that he was drinking buddies with Jesse Marsh in Chicago is a question a lot of Rapids fans have. Rabbi, <laughs> I've been talking for a lot. You, you, the, the, here, here you go, the talking stick from Grapes of Wrath or whatever that book is with the kids on the island is yours. Nice. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm taking more of a wait and see attitude. I'm trying not to be very negative. I mostly agree with everything you said. Um, I want to highlight kind of mostly things that I would take away from his Red Bulls experience and things that I would take away from his Toronto experience, because I don't really know what being an assistant contributes to the dialogue. So let me, let me explain that thought process, right? So if um, we're looking at Chris Armas's experience with 
Red Bull as instructive towards what he could provide for the Rapids, it's very hard to suss out the tea leaves. It's very hard to figure out um, because the way Red Bull is set up, you know, internationally, they have a style that all three, four of the Red Bull teams are supposed to do, which is a high pressing, high energy, um, you know, very athletic kind of approach to soccer. And I think that that it, that makes it hard to figure out what Chris Armas is going to look like with any other team because he doesn't have a, you know, most coaches have a coaching philosophy and a coaching identity that is theirs that they apply to the game. And for Red Bull, Chris Armas was trapped into a different coaching philosophy. That being said, we assume that his coaching philosophy with Red Bull is something that he takes with him other places, right? If you spend a year or two or three, you know, in a high-pressing style, it's assumed that the high press is really important to you. So that is actually the one, I think, most positive thing I would say about Armas, which is that he comes to the Rapids with a coaching um, reputation, which is to, you know, to, to be to run a high press offense that succeeds at what it's ostensibly supposed to do. So that's, that's the positive thing I can say about Red Bull. The negative thing I could say is if, if management told him you're going to press real hard and then he did that, we don't actually know anything about what Chris Armas thinks about how to be successful at football. So that's a challenge. The Toronto experience, however, is far, far more condemning. So Chris Armas was the head coach of, Toronto FC at the beginning of 2021, they basically almost lost all their games for the first 11 games. They had one win, Matt's pointing out, and I I looked this up also. And he was fired on July 3rd after a loss to DC United where they lost 7 to 1, right? It's a that's a bad that's a bad way to go out. You never you never want to have one of those games as a coach where things are going really badly and the media scuttlebutt is everybody's like, well, he's got to turn it around or he's probably going to get fired after this game. And you lose that game 7-1. to one. That's a really bad sign. Um, it's a really bad sign also because you know that when the pressure is on, you have to work harder to come up with a game plan that's going to work. And your players probably have more of a sense that um, it's really important that uh, you kind of you know, do something in this game. Um, I did a review for um, our uh, Substack the other day, since there was no soccer. Uh, I looked at uh, a bunch of TV shows that were uh, going on about soccer right now and reviewed them and gave them out of a four, out of a five-star system. And the one that I don't recommend is um, the Arsenal documentary on Amazon Amazon Prime, but there was one instructive moment there, which is, it's, it's you know, if, if you're a huge Arsenal fan, it's kind of interesting, but mildly boring. If you're not a massive Arsenal fan, um, it's really boring. But there was one instructive moment, which is at the very beginning of the 2021 season that Mikel Arteta is, you know, in charge of, they're not doing real well. I think there are three or four games in, and he gives this locker room speech, which the way you, if you watch it right, you probably understand that he's giving one of these, I'm really proud of you guys. I think you're a wonderful football club. I don't care what anybody else says. Go out there and play for the badge 
and whatever happens, happens. Don't worry about me, guys. And it's a really interesting kind of like moment into understanding how Mikel Arteta creates a relationship with his guys. I'm assuming that that uh, that Chris Armas had that opportunity at Toronto and it went exactly the other way, which was they didn't play very well and he immediately got fired and that was that. So that's, I think, the problem, which is that he 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 had. And, and the, the other thing is his interim coach who came after him was fairly successful. I mean, Toronto actually had a whole bunch of draws and wins after they fired Armas. So um, that's a little bit, you know, as, as nice as I said good things about the Red Bull period, um, the Toronto period is is really uh, bad for Armas. So I'm going to say two more things, and I'll go back to you, Matt. I'm keeping an open mind because you never know. You just never know whether the pieces are going to come together right or whether he's learned something from those experiences or whether he's grown as a coach or whether he has a much clearer identity or whether some of the problems between coach and team were about being aligned, right? You can have a very good team and a coach who doesn't know how to set them up right and then you can struggle. You can have a very bad team and have a coach who can get more out of them than the sum of their parts, right? By by putting the right players together. I mean, I think to some degree, Pablo Mastroeni kind of accomplished that in 2016 where he took a, a pretty solid but unspectacular team and got a lot out of it. Robin Frazier in 2020 would be another example of that. Like that team wasn't significantly different than the 2023 Colorado Rapids and um, they, they, you know, made it to the playoffs and, and looked pretty decent. So those are some of the things I'm noting. The last thing I'll say is um, this about keeping an open mind, which is, um, you know, Pablo Mastroeni was the head coach of the Colorado Rapids from 2015 to 2017. He got fired for running what was considered by most an exceedingly stale, unbelievably dull offense. He was in the wind for a few years and now he's with RSL and I am, you know, really impressed with the way RSL plays. I know that's hard for us Rapids fans to hear, but RSL under Pablo Mastroeni play a very fluid kind of fun soccer. Diego Luna gets to create a lot of interesting things. You know, the defense holds tight when they need to. Um, and I'm not assuming that Pablo Mastroeni, you know, like was a moron before and is still a moron and is terrible as a coach, but now he's got a better team and they, they do it with, you know, despite him, I think he grew as a person and as a coach. And that's a thing that human beings do. So that's why I'm keeping an open mind about Chris Armas. I am thinking, hoping, believing that there's a possibility that whatever bad went wrong in Toronto, whatever, you know, criticisms he received at Manchester United. He has grown as a person and as a coach over the years. And the hope is that he can, you know, take a Rapids team uh, and some new players next year and improve upon what we had last year, which, by the way, considering we were the second worst team in all of Major League Soccer last year, improving upon what we had last year shouldn't be that hard to do. So over a two-year project, I think there's there's the potential, and that's why I'm keeping an open mind. I will push back, Mark, on your notes about Armis's time at Toronto FC, or at least add some context to it. This is the 2021 season, which was the coming out of 
COVID season that had all three Canadian teams having to be based in the United States for part of the season. And so you'll remember that they were based in Florida. They were mostly playing games in Orlando. I believe they had a Champions League game, if I'm remembering this correctly. I think their CCL home for one game because Orlando had a game or something was actually the Buccaneers Stadium, Raymond James Stadium, if I'm remembering that correctly. And um, they won a game coming back from aggregate and Michael Bradley, you know, had a at a, a speech in the locker room afterwards telling the players to keep their knife, keep that knife between their teeth. And then that just led to a bunch of pirate memes because he said knife between the teeth playing at the Buccaneer stadium. And so, and the Canadian teams did not return back north of the border to their proper homes. So I don't know, guys were living in hotels, they were traveling, their families weren't there. That was a tumultuous time. And they did not go back until the middle of July. According to Wikipedia, um, their first game back at BMO Field was July 17th. When was Chris Armas dismissed? It was after the 4th of July game that you just mentioned as well. That being said... I think ultimately he and Chris Armas, I do not know what Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment and, and the business side ownership was thinking in having a veteran group of mostly guys in their early to mid-30s that played possession-style soccer and had a talent advantage still over a lot of MLS teams in the middle and up top were thinking in appointing a... A technical director, or sporting director, I think would have been his role, uh, Ollie Curtis, formerly of the New York Red Bulls, and then him hiring Chris Armas, formerly the New York Red Bulls head coach, to come in and Red Bullsify Toronto. I don't understand where Armas thought that was the best opportunity or what was going on there or how they tried to implement that style that just clearly did not work. And so... So that brings it up to um, going back to your uh, your big point of the are we going to see are are, are the Colorado Rapids going to become Red Bulls Colorado or are they going to play energy drink soccer? And I think it's worth pointing out that every single job that Armas has had has had some level of pressure in order to implement that style. You know, Mark, we joke about how you know part of uh, where there was a disconnect between Robin and Pork was in formation or just the approach to the the game and everything deviation from the plan was I think Porik's quote that he had in that second hour long press conference you know like if Chris Armand comes out and plays you know and plays multiple games in a row of like 4-2-3-1 defensive soccer nobody pressing you know the lowest number of defensive actions per pass against or anything like somebody at Red Bulls is going to fire you on the spot it's pretty much a requirement that you're playing some variation of a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-2-2 or depending on the person Mm -hmm. You could get away with a on paper four two three one in that situation. You know, a three five two and then trying to possess the ball seventy percent is not going to work at Red Bull. Obviously, he goes to Ollie Curtis because they knew each other at New York Red Bulls, and so they were aligned in that vision. If maybe that vision was ultimately them trying to fit a square peg into a Toronto FC round hole, and then obviously his two opportunities that he had in Europe were based on pressing. I think in hindsight, looking back at Leeds's Leeds relegation from the Premiership, I think they were so embedded into. Play playing Marcelo Bielsa's style, and then they were so poor coming out of that from a competitive standpoint in the Premiership that they couldn't afford to take the time to actually rebuild and even deviate or adjust slightly, even under Jesse Marsh, without having that change lead to a further drop that just guaranteed them getting relegated. So in a lot of ways, I think that second season, particularly with the injuries to... Uh, to um, 
Tyler Adams really had Jesse Marsh already on a sinking ship and then Chris Armis with that. So this is the first really interesting situation, Mark, in terms of Armis's head coaching career where it's the first time that he's not under that same specter or he's not within the Red Bulls family and then a level of expectation that is going to be very Red Bullsy, Red Bullsian. And so one of the first things that uh, when, when I spoke to um, when I spoke to the front office earlier today was that they don't want to come here and be specifically energy drink soccer. They want to press. Um, Cole Bassett had a really great line when he was asked about the um, what he was looking for in a head coach and saying this is a transition league and this is a team that is at its best in transition. I think the 2016 Rapids team, that was true, and I think the Rapids in 2021 when they were punching at and above their weight against the Seattles, the SKCs, um, <clears throat> the uh, I can't remember who was good in the Eastern Conference that year. When they were playing well against them, it was what they did in transition not necessarily in a possession setup. And so that's still present, but this is still a team that wants to be able to be good on the ball or is comfortable at times having the ball and wants to have a setup and a shape in there. And then I remember I, I spoke to someone as well who talked about some of the feedback when they were going through all of the candidates and looking at um, hearing from coaches and other assistants what they said about it. Armas has historically set up his teams to where they do not beat themselves or they don't put themselves in a position to where their biggest weakness is easy to take advantage of. So if we're comparing him vis-a-vis <coughs> Robin Frazier who stubbornly wanted them to at times build out of the back in situations where just they were going to turn the ball over and they weren't going to be in a good position to account for that counterattack defensively. That is something that Armis appears to guard against or deviate and uh, adjust immediately rather than try and work the way through that problems thinking that it's going to go away. That was part of Robin Frazier's downfall. That's not something that uh, appears to be in uh, Chris Armis's modus operandi. So those are kind of two points. And uh, to your point, Mark, about improving, use Pablo Mastroeni, I think a really good, uh, a potentially good comparison that we have here, given that he's an MLS retread guy who maybe got a longer leash at some of his other coaching opportunities, I think is actually Ben Olsen. Like, how many people, Mark, mm. this time last year were saying, like, Ben Olsen, what are you thinking? He's washed. You know, he got to stay around four years longer than he should have at DC United. They did that for him because he was a club legend. He plays ugly MLS 2.0 soccer. He hasn't learned anything. And what does he come out? He's been a really good man manager. He's done some interesting things tactically. I do think he has a much better team in Houston than he had for many years, certainly that 2013 team. Um, when he was at DC United. And so he's learned a few things. He's coached within himself and he's put the club in a position to be successful. And I think he's done a really good job from a man management standpoint with some of the younger players and some of the veterans. If you look at what, um, not Dynamo Theory, they're now Bayou City Soccer and then, uh, some of the other just reports and you get the long form stuff on Hector Herrera or on how Ben Olsen's dealing with that. He's gotten more out of him than, um, uh, the previous coaching staff was getting out of Ace Ace, and he's done a really good job in moments, gradually over time, bringing on young.
young players something that was distinctly a weakness for him. So to your point, Mark, about how Pablo Mastroeni went mm. went into his dark cave, maybe went to a darkness retreat um, with Aaron Rodgers and sat there and thought about things and was self-reflective and was like, the how can I be a better person? What are some of my biggest weaknesses? What are some of the things that I can change? And philosophically, Pablo Mastroeni is still doing a lot of the similar things. The keep fighting Rapids thug life is still in him, but he's evolved enough and been self-aware enough and then not tried to do more than... He's not being more than he is, but he's also grown from the person that he was. I could say the same thing about Ben Olsen. I want to believe that Chris Armis is a self-aware and intelligent enough person to do that as well. That is the optimism. I am searching for that light in the darkness, Mark, and that I will ask a question when we speak to Chris Armis for the first time at a press conference about that to try and get an understanding of that. And that's something that I am going to um, to look more in that regard. And so the, the second thing that I want to say, Mark, that was a uh, part of the, um, that Porik really highlighted when I spoke to him was that the, there were three key things back at the start of the coaching search that they were looking for. The three things that they identified and the coach that they were hiring absolutely had to have both of these and could not have one of them be a weakness. And one of them had to be an absolute, like, um, very good quality. And so one was leadership. I mentioned earlier about how, um, you know, the club's done a better job in terms of researching who the person is and understanding. And apparently the feedback that they got from players and staff, even at Toronto, was very good in terms of he's a good leader of men. He holds himself accountable. He's a locker room guy. What was Robin really good at? A locker room guy. What did Chris Little improve from a standard when he came in and had the Chris Little effect? Part of it was the locker room environment. Second thing, shared vision and the game model, given that they were working in a transition league i already talked a little bit about that they're going to press a little bit and they're going to but then they're also going to have a possession component something that maybe chris armis has stewed on since leaving leeds united something that maybe has always been in him and his philosophies about the game going back to maybe his time as a player with the la galaxy or with the chicago fire he's never been coaching at a club that naturally was going to allow that to uh, incubate and to come to fruition uh, with his uh, with his four previous opportunities, and then the third one was player development. There was a really good. Uh, hold on, Mark. I I want to make sure that I don't. I want to give credit to who this person was because um, Brendan Plone actually showed me this um, article, and I want to get it right. <clears throat> okay, I, I don't have it in front of me, but so it was about um, him coaching in Long Island and just really liking working with like hungry college day students when he was at Adelphi or players who were like 23 and younger. And so I've said this before, Mark, even before um, there was any news about the coaching hire. Okay, I'll, I'll ask you this, Rabbi. Here's my thoughts in the 2024 season that I generally have. I would be willing to accept another bad season where they don't make the playoffs and there are long stretches where they are maybe competitive, but not picking up results. And at no point, they're maybe hovering around that playoff line, but at no point are you really convinced that they are going to make the playoffs. And I would be willing to sit through that and cover that from a media standpoint and be patient in terms of everyone at the club in their jobs if it was a bunch of homegrowns and Moise Bombito and Brian Galvan getting minutes and Cole Bassett leads the team in goals and assists and he absolutely cooks and the two draft picks that they have, the second overall and the fourth overall get regular minutes as well and ultimately it's the we're gonna play the kids and Darren Yappi finally scores the goal and ultimately we're bleeding in this young group so that they can thrive or at least hit the ground running in 2025 that is something mark 
contract that I would be willing to sign up for right now. What say you? I want results a little sooner, and I'm also not sure that we have enough firepower. Um, you know, we'll talk about this when we get you know closer into um, hot stove season, which is like probably mid December for the Rapids when we have some moves to discuss. But the the Rapids need to fill uh, two or three of the most difficult positions on the football field, and they need to do them from within the context of this new manager and what he wants to do and what formation he wants to run. So um, we're looking at filling two central midfielders and a wing midfielder, um, probably, uh, depending on how wingy we want the formation to be. Uh, if Armis wants to go to a 4-2-3-1, then it means we need um, kind of, you know, like really three midfielders um, who who are willing to play more centrally. Um, uh, anyhow, point is, um, that that is that's a tall order, and I don't know that you're going to get those guys out of the MLS draft. Um, or, uh, something, you know, you might be able to get them without, uh, from, from within, uh, MLS, uh, get somebody who's a veteran who's coming over. Um, but I don't know. I, I just want to go back way back to something that we, you mentioned at the very beginning, just to throw in, which was, if you asked me who, which of the candidates would have been my favorite, um, funny enough, the candidate who you mentioned in an article, I think yesterday, as no longer really being a candidate would have been my favorite. And that's Jack Wilshire. And I, I get why Jack Wilshire is kind of like a, really, is that such a good idea? Kind of higher because he's totally untested. Um, there's, he has no experience in major league soccer and he's not really a known quantity, but honestly, um, you know, our last coach was a known quantity with MLS experience and he couldn't really get the job done. Um, I liked Robin Frazier, but I don't think he ultimately proved to be successful with the Rapids. I do think Robin may go on to success at a later date. It, um, he's he's interviewing for the other jobs that I think are more attractive than the Rapids right now. And the other thing is, I think, and I think that the other thing that we've learned that all people know about coaches is some coaches are really meant to be wonderful assistant coaches rather than be, you know, kind of like struggling head coaches. And sometimes, you know, like for instance, a head coach, what what a head coach needs to bring to the table, um, they, they need to be able to do four or five areas of the game really, really well. And an assistant coach maybe only needs to do two or three things. I, at, speaking as, to be fair, it's a high school basketball team, so it's not the same, but speaking as an assistant coach, um, I know that like I wasn't ever likely to be a successful head coach in, in high school basketball. I don't have a killer instinct. I don't have a lot of the experience. You don't have the specific technical abilities, nor do I have the specific um, kind of overall like tactical acumen of, of running a team. But I have little pieces that were valuable to the team. And that might be something that, you know, Robin Frazier will go on to do. That's an open question with Chris Armas. That's an open question with all the candidates for the Rapids. Um, I think, for me also, um, I would have been totally fine with Chris Little taking the job. I would have been, I think, a little bit um, curious as to whether we weren't just being safe as a team. 
Um, and that's, I think, why I like the Jack Wilshire idea. Pamuduka is a totally unknown quantity to me as a as a um, as a coach because he was a really lovely player who I thought was quite good, um, but I don't know what he would uh, be like as a head coach. That was very similar to Jack Wilshire, minus the fact that Wilshire doesn't know anything about MLS. Um, and then there were a bunch of other kind of like names out there out there who <clears throat> were on my short list who didn't ultimately. Um, make the final cut. Um, Ator Karanka, um, you know, a, a few guys like that um, who would have been interesting, but, um, you know, ultimately weren't picked. Um, you know, uh, I'll throw it out there, even though it, I didn't think he was ever really a candidate, but Bob, because he's happy here in Pittsburgh, but like Bob Lilly just won USL Coach of the Year. Um, you know, he had an incredible year of just the, the team just went out and basically won everything except the first round of the, of the USL playoffs. But, um, those kinds of like, there were other options out there. Chris Armis feels a little safe and a little, um, you know, also a little bit questionable. And yet I want to hear at the press conference tomorrow, what Porik thinks from, and the question that people will, will ask, hopefully you will get to ask, um, is uh, what what did you see in the interviews that really made you convinced that Chris Armas was the right hire for this team? I mean, somebody's going to ask that in some version or another. And Porik has the silver tongue. He'll figure out a way to, to kind of explain what we think this guy is going to bring to this soccer club. Yeah. Um, uh, Mark Presser won't be tomorrow. Um, I have, nice. I, I'm expecting it the week after Thanksgiving and I will do everything in my power to attend that. Um, just one other thing that I wanted to talk about, Mark, going back to maybe the vision in the club and what he could do and everything of, um, you know, that, um, you know, uh, I, I did hear from somebody say that Armos had thought extensively about what his system could look like, maybe Red Bulls related or Red Bulls light. At altitude, in particular, if you've got just a club that's highly focused on fitness, that's been something the club has been looking to for a number of years now. They've changed out some of their fitness staff and everything. They tried to be more careful about that with how they uh, approached the preseason last year. Obviously, they're you know going through potentially renovating some of their facilities to account for and upgrade that and make a, a better performance situation. Whether or not that is because there was a grievance and the MLSPA or Major League Soccer are forcing them to do it not necessarily because they wanted to or that was money that KSC wanted to spend on another topic for another time we've talked about that in the past but so the like that is something like Chris Armas has thought about and so if you think about Mark getting it right from a fitness staff standpoint not having a practice field and a playing field that is endangering your players as well to where it's safe and it actually plays to that strength and everything and then you've got a guy who will do the right amount of Red Bulls pressing but not necessarily try to turn every single game into a scrappy car fight as we've seen with some Red Bulls playoff games particularly when they play the Philadelphia Union that's a style that I think can fit in that can fit in with where the Rapids snore from a talent standpoint from the direction they want to be in terms of getting a little bit younger from the direction they want to go to in terms of having players be more fit and take advantage of that as well because Robin's style I would say really in the last 18 months Mark the last 18 months of his time at the club did not uh, play to 
that advantage. I think Chris Little adjusted that in terms of making them more compact, and the most important thing was to be hard to beat in that be hard to get scored against, but that wasn't necessarily putting, that wasn't putting pressure on the opponent. That wasn't putting them on their back foot and then having to react to that in a very physical way. And the only time that I think we really ever saw that, Mark, I think we saw that a little bit with Pablo Mastorani gradually as they worked their way into second halves after he usually made a sub or a second half adjustment that was decent. I definitely don't think Anthony Hudson ever achieved that. And I'll say the 2021 season, particularly that middle part of the summer during the dog days of summer where you had the altitude, but then you also had at least enough heat to where there was some dehydration coming from the players with the temperatures and the dryness to where they were able to take advantage of that. But, you know, the the Rapids in terms of home field advantage, just winning, but then also winning in a way that exhausts the opponent and everything, I, I would argue that's been a point, of em, a point of emphasis that the club has wanted to do for a number of years that they haven't gotten consistently right, even over one full season from start to finish. And so if Arma sees something in that that's Red Bulls related, but then some of his other ideas ideas that maybe have been, um, you know, stunted or sheltered or not, um, or not supported by the leadership of the clubs that he's been at in the past. I could see where this is an experiment that could take some time, but that could work in the same way that an incubated, improved Ben Olsen with some realism, but then also fitting at the right club with the right situation and the right staff certainly has shown to be, um, to yield results for the Houston Dynamo in year one. Um, let's talk about the coaching process as well, Mark, because I think there's the potential for some in the Rapids community to react to this in a negative way because of the timing or because of the amount of time it took. And I think it could be similar to the valid frustration and the well-intended desire for something different that was maybe misguided during the um, the Porrick Smith press conferences, where there was a lot of criticism and flack thrown at the direction of the Rapids digital personnel, the club staff that were in that first press conference that were asking questions as they have want to be and are allowed to be and have a right to be and do so and rarely ever do so without every single independent media outlet person in the room getting to ask a question first and really the the root cause mark of that was misdirected frustration the fact that we only got 25 minutes or whatever it was with Pork. and obviously the club corrected that Pork corrected that in making time in his calendar you know a couple of weeks later so I could see where there's frustration directed at the amount of time the coaching search took the potential for to think that if you didn't do it in the time that you necessarily wanted to that you could just that you know the the club could have waited a couple more weeks done another you know round of first interviews added another finalist or I don't know maybe they would have started over um from the process with a couple of coaches who were made available you know Hernan Lozada had been dismissed uh the guy in Charlotte got dismissed I don't know that either of them would have been super good fits but if you're looking for another Red Bullsy guy Mark with connections to the Southwest Troy Lusane who previously was very successful at New Mexico United and so I think there are some Rapids fans I've seen some discourse and some thought around take more time because then there's more candidates and then we can expand the pool because the pool of candidates that we had was crap because we've already mentioned Chris Armas, Pamunuka, um, limited MLS coaching experience. And I'll go, I've, I've said this down multiple times, Mark, I will say it again. I don't believe that any of the finalists that we now believe were finalists. And uh, Mark, I have heard there were five, not actually four. And I do believe that four of those five were 
Armis, Pamoduka, Chris Little, and Efren Juarez. Obviously, I've reported that Jack Wilson was not the fifth of those finalists of saying none of these guys are good enough to do the job right now. And in my personal opinion, Mark, none of them is as qualified as Robin Frazier was in August of 2019. And I still believe right now Robin Frazier is a better head coach than all of these coaches, including but not limited to Chris Armis. And so I think well, that— we- we didn't get Phil Neville, and we didn't get... Uh, Aren't we glad we didn't get Phil Neville? And we didn't get Giovanni Savarese. So yeah. those are those are some interesting notes. We didn't get Jason Kreiss, you know. So That's there, a good thing. There are a couple of... I don't know. I I, I, I might have liked um, Savarese, but I'm not sure. I, I think, yeah, I don't think we're... we're I don't think we feel sad we missed out on the Phil Neville experience. Yeah, so the the, the point that I, I want to make, Rapids fans, if you are upset that it's like, oh my god, we took all this time when we got Chris Little, I would say to ask your question, are you actually just upset that they got Chris Armis rather than the process? Because so, Mark, I'd, I'd heard whispers about this during, can't remember which two double game week it was under Chris little where they had gotten two results I think but so there there was a point where the club was delaying starting the interviews because they uh there there was some uh there was a, a bit of a coach bump under Chris Little and they wanted to give him the opportunity to coach his way into being potentially a favorite or the guy and you also have to account mark for the fact that in order to properly do their due diligence sometimes this stuff you know takes time between doing interviews that are potentially virtual and having to deal with the logistics of that and then if you're flying in the you know the very finalists and everything working that around their calendar not having those two things overlap because you know having you know in order to talk to all of the people it's almost disrespectful to backlog or be doing those things simultaneously and then and all of those club staff, Mark, then have to clear their schedule for other things. So on the days they're not doing interviews, they're potentially double loaded with other things that they're doing to prep for the start of the offseason or finish out the regular season and all this. And so there is a whole process here, folks. This was not simply you know, them getting 10 or however many first round candidates and finding a 30 minute window to talk to them on zoom and ask them what their greatest weakness is or to describe their approach to leadership or what they think of a particular player. And then an hour interview for the guys that make that first pass and everything. And I think it's also worth pointing out, Mark, to your point about, at least we missed out on the Chris Neville experience. I know it's going to be hard for a lot of Rapids fans to think like this, Mark, but there are a lot of ways in which it could be worse right now. You know, I don't know if you saw, Rabbi, but uh, Portland Timbers have a new shirt sponsor. I think it's like a home improvement company. It's based in Portland. It has like 500 followers on Twitter. It's clearly a downgrade. And like there was a Portland fan who like started Googling it. And like one of the top like autofills on Google was like, is this company a pyramid scheme? So and then there were fans who were reacting to that by roasting that decision or calling for Merritt Paulson to sell the team and the Timbers Twitter account was actually blocking them. So say what you will, Mark, about the state of the Colorado Rapids and everything. At the very least, like the Twitter admin isn't out here blocking Waters and Jason Maxwell. That would be bad. Yes. And then you look at it, Rabbi, I don't know if you've seen as well, but Chicago Fire are doubling down on their technical staff after the first year that they had, which I don't fully understand. And DC United, who have had a vacancy with um, 
Wayne Rooney taking the Birmingham City job to go work for Tom Brady have had that head coaching job open for a while now, and this is on top of them still having their technical director, sporting director, general manager, I can't remember what terminology they're using for that position, that's been open this entire MLS season. So things could be worse in that regard, Mark. Uh, Again, listeners, if you're mad about the timing of decision, I think uh, fundamentally you're mad at the decision, and you should be directing that at the process and at the head coach who ultimately earned the job or that who the club could get so maybe that's also a reflection mark of the rapids hired who they could get or who would be interested in that so that's either a reflection of the process or a reflection of armis or a reflection of ownership not necessarily a reflection of the timing of the decision mark am i crazy here or or do you think it's valid for rapids fans to be like you know you took two and a half months and you gave us chris armis like you could have just given us chris little on day one no i think i i i I respect the process you know like i think i think it takes a long time to interview people you know it takes a long time to get all the resumes submitted and to you know pile through them and watch tape and figure out what's going on there so i i don't mind that that the process was long-winded and that it didn't end in a place where it was like all that exciting. Uh, I, I just, I think coaching, I, I think some Rapids fans are kind of like uh, probably hoping for a miracle. The, the the most important thing I think I also want to say that I'd forgotten to mention up till now is like, we're kind of like your, you know, your neighbors busted up, you know, 87 Buick. Like not a lot of buyers are coming by really excited about that car. You know what I mean? You're looking for someone who um, sees potential and is happy to, to take this on as a project. You are not you are not expecting that the creme de la creme of the coaching royalty around the world. Like, you know, if Pep Guardiola was available, he wasn't looking at this job. And everyone in that entire tier of coaches and then the near, the tier below that was also not looking at this. Like, they they don't need a struggling MLS club with a history of not uh, uh, adequately spending on players. Like, this is this is all, this was always going to be a coach who was a bit of a reclamation project, someone who sees value in something that has been cast off by everybody else. Like, that's the kind of team we are. Um, you know, I don't think people thought much of Gary Smith when he was the first, when he was a coach with the Rapids, they probably didn't think much of Gary Smith when he got let go by the Rapids and wandered in the USL um, for a few years, and then finally ended up, you know, being back on top with Nashville. Like that, that you know, he wasn't. I don't think he rated. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for someone who um, is already kind of overlooked and and kind of a cast off in Major League Soccer who is willing to take. A risk, and we're willing to take a risk on her or him. Um, so that's that's I think another thing. I, speaking of her or him, you know, notable that I didn't think of a single female coach out there who was uh, a potential hire right now. Um, even in NWSL, it feels like there's kind of a shortage of um, you know top end, well respected female coaches. Although, of course, the USWNT just hired um, that was it Emma Hayes. Emma Hayes, the new. Who was uh, England's uh, coach uh, before she she will be coming to the U.S. Women's National Team? So that's exciting. But you know, like uh, those those kinds of crossovers into Major League Soccer haven't happened yet, but they should. 
Yeah, Mark. So I am really, I'm really curious to see what one, we still don't, um, Chris Armas will, you know, immediately folks be heavily involved in the roster decisions that have to get made by December 1st. I think the deadline is. And then obviously you've got later in next month, you've got the, uh, combine or the showcase, whatever terminology they're using for that, which will then lead into, the super draft. So I'm really curious to see Mark with Armas then now, you know, working with Pork hand in hand, how much turnover we see. And I do, I agree with you that I think there's more optimism and there will be more leash given if there's a proper rebuild and, you know, we're actually jettisoning out a number of players, not just what I've reported on, you know, with um, Jonathan Lewis not being back to the club. And then obviously we know that um, Diego Rubio and, uh, Jack Price will not be returning as well, but what happens to a guy like Danny Wilson? Does the club try to flip somebody like Sam Nicholson? Do they go, you know, do we, if we see, you know, 10 plus changes, Mark, beyond what's already out there in the public space, and then you combine that with every new signing that the Rapids bring in, you know, is a 21 to a 23-year-old, and if the, you know, if the starting 11 on opening night, Mark, is the youngest starting 11 in the entire league for the opening weekend and everything I think they'll be more leash you know if the if Chris Armas is like I can get something out of Sebastian Anderson I'm the guy who can unlock what's in all the rows that we've seen with Rapids 2 that we haven't seen with the first team I'm the guy who if he earns it and he ends up being useful I can turn Yosuke Hanya into a bench MLS starter I think that's something that will could endear him within the locker room and then also have him be given more leash as well. And so to your point, Mark, about maybe the Rapids head coach needing to be a reclamation project because the club is a reclamation progress, prog- uh, is a reclamation project. And there's, uh, there's many aspects of the roster that are locked in. So it's not like the, Hey, I'm coming in, spend a bunch of money, train all, the, you know, trade all the players and get in a bunch of guys who are better. And then just the, again, the financial realities of it. This Chris Armis is probably not making the amount of money that. Um, who do I want to point out here that, uh, you know, uh, Gonzalo Pineda is making or that, uh, Tata Martino are, is making in Atlanta and Miami respectively, that was going to limit the scope of who that you could ultimately go after. Um, let's talk about what's next, Mark. We'll actually start with an Ask HTHL that I don't think we've podcasted since, uh, but Matthew Schmeeman posted, uh, Mark, on October 27th. Uh, it was This was in a bit of a thread, but saying Matt and Mark are, mar- are right without them, referring to Rubio and Price and Yarby potentially. We don't know the status of William Yarbrough. I have been on the record, Mark, saying for a couple of months, I think the club made up their mind about Yarbrough much, much earlier in the season, and they're going to roll with Ilicha. But so uh, uh, there is no one to carry the identity of this club. I don't think Keegan and Beta, Beta uncertain folks, uh, he does want to continue playing, but he's out of contract, are enough heartbreaking hashtag AskHGHL. Mark, so Jack Price, gone. Diego Rubio, gone. Potentially William Yarbrough, gone. That is the a significant center of the spine of the team from 2021 and 2022. And I think there's also, um, you know, the, how different could this team be and the um, leadership and the veteran experience and quality vacuum that could exist that needs to get filled as well. How much of that is that a major concern to say nothing of the fact that Rubio could go to another MLS team and we know he's going to come here and be petty and score against the Rapids. 
Uh, the question there was what? I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. Okay. Um. Uh. With without Price and Rubio market potentially without Yarbrough as well. Um. Who's carrying the identity of the club, and then how much is ah. is there a, a concern that there's a loss of veteran leadership, or are we just assuming that uh um that Cole Bassett is going to rise to the occasion and become the Reese James to Chelsea for the Rapids? Uh, I don't know who's going to carry the club and who the club talisman is going to be. I don't think it's a great idea to lay that on uh, Cole Bassett. He's still young, and I don't think his position lends itself to that kind of level of leadership. Connor Ronan is probably a little new with the team, and also his first year was above average, but not like he can carry the, the load. Uh, Rafael Navajo seems like a possibility, but, you know, we remember the days with, um, uh, you know, kind of putting all the pressure on our, you know, number nine striker who wasn't really, you know, a big, um, wasn't given adequate service in order to do that. Like uh, Kevin Doyle would be a great exit, a great example of that. Like he, he was a really lovely person. Um, but they couldn't get him the ball and that made it. And he also, I don't know that was like, you know, a huge was ever going to be like a massive scorer in major league soccer. So, um, you know, I don't know personally, I think the most, the, the most, the player that I've interviewed the most, the guy who understands major league soccer, the best, and the guy who, you know, is respected on the Colorado Rapids the most would be Keegan Rosenberry. Yes. He's he's solid if unspectacular to some degree, though, in that he is a defensive player and defensive right back in a league where we're starting to think that right back should do more and be more offensively minded. But that being said, like, you know, he's a lockdown um, right back. Uh, and he's still, you know, in the, the kind of better part of his career physically and, and ability wise. So he, the, he'll be the leader in the clubhouse who will be the leader in goals and assists. Well, I'll be home, but so that's the question that we really need. And so we're looking for someone who can you know provide eight assists uh, and a couple goals a year. And I don't know who that person is. Um, you can still find that person at a, at a high age. Um, you know, Darlington Nagby put in a great show in the last playoff match, kind of reminding the world that Darlington Nagby is still a guy who can do a job and is, is still a valuable asset to a club. Um, you know, many, many years after his kind of best, best years uh, with uh, MLS and the U.S. national team. So that's the kind of guy that I, I kind of hope that the team brings in at least one guy of, you know, someone who's like 28, 29, 30, has done all the things in Major League Soccer and can still get it done. Um, but, you know, I, I'm also willing to be, you know, excited by someone we bring in from abroad who who uh, can really lead this club. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I agree with you, Mark. There is a there's a vocal leadership vacuum that's potentially going to exist at the club. I don't think there's a a full on leadership vacuum that will exist. I think you know Kobas has been around for long enough. <clears throat> Andreas Banksu has been around. There'll be other MLS veterans on the team, but you know maybe a you know a widely a similar to Stephen Betasher you know guy like a I, I'm not saying that this is going to happen or that I've heard this, Mark. This is totally speculation. But like the would Alejandro Bedoya take a pay cut, a one year in one deal, and then be a, like a sub vibes guy, like veteran, like when 
Roy Kent gets benched in the final <laughs> third of season one of Ted Lasso. We need somebody in that kind of an ilk right now, just because Diego Rubio is really loud and Jack Price never stopped talking. And William Yarbrough was one of the four loudest people on the pitch when I was uh, seeing games in person during the COVID season without fans at the back end of 2020. And Cole Bassett can be a leader. I think he's stepped up and taken a more significant role at the team. He's kind of quiet. Andreas Makshu, not exactly a yeller. Marco Illich as well. He's loud because he's a goalkeeper, and I think every goalkeeper is loud and angry and combined being a loud angry Serbian as well and not a guy who hates his job like it's a nine to five like um Nikola Jokic does but you know there's a bit of a language barrier there and even Keegan's not like it's not clear to me who's going to be the guy yelling at everybody to get their heads out of their you know what's when they give up a goal 20 minutes into a game that they were bossing and the opponent gets one lucky chance and one lucky goal as well to go again. It's not clear to me right now who's currently contracted, who's going to be here next year, who's probably going to be a starter next year, who that is. And in the absence of having that, that creates a problem. I do want to say... Having I've now pieced this together, Mark, from a couple different puzzle pieces from uh, people around the club and familiar with the situations and everything. I sense that the parting of ways between Price and the Rapids was a mutually agreed upon decision. Um, Price has a young family and potentially now was a good time for him to go back to England and finish out his career there and then get started with whatever's coming up next as well. I sense that the injury concerns with Rubio and then what there'd be potentially demands in terms of his role on the team next year and compensation for that next passage, uh, that next compensation for that next contract. I sense that that was more on the club's decision and that they want to get, and particularly wanting, given what I said before about how fundamentally this is a club that needs to be very good in transition, that while Rubio is a great attacking player, Mark, he's not necessarily as dynamic or as fast. He's not a guy that you think about going on the break like you would think about a Dominic Noduro, a Chris Muller, for example, even a Cade Cowell, if I'm just, and I'm just, you know, pulling out other young guys that are of that ilk. That's something that I'd associate with Brian Galvan. That's something I'd say of a Sam Vines. That's something I think they were hoping to get out of Luis Diaz, who I don't expect to be back at the club. And so I think the goal is then to fill that position with someone who's younger, faster, and then in a little bit better transition play as well. Um, and the other thing as well, Mark, is that, um, you know, I, I would expect that um, Chris Armas is going to have some say in the backroom coaching staff and what that looks like. And that's an announcement that, um, you know, the um, uh, that I would expect from the club before the end of the calendar year. And so in that regard, despite the fact that all of the assistants to Robin Frazier signed contract extensions uh, in the first quarter of this year through the end of 2025, if I remember correctly. I don't know that they're necessarily going to be back. I don't know the status of whether there are buyouts or anything, but um, so I, I would not expect necessarily that because those guys are on contract for 2024 that they will be back. I think if they were two mark that I would have to have back. I think you, I, I think you like enough what's going on at the goalkeeper position particularly with the two young guns coming out of the academy, that Chris Sharpie's a lifer at the club. 
And I think Chris Little has done enough to where you would want some continuity in order to retain him as well. Um, I don't know how you can look at what this team's done from an attacking standpoint and how much regression there was individually and collectively and say that Wilde Harris did a good job with this team outside of Calvin Harris and maybe Cole Bassett at times. Um, and, you know, I think that... Um, Fairly or unfairly, Neil Emblem is still the one holdover that you have from the Hudson era that maybe is worth, um, you know, looking into as well. But that this is all just me speculating. Should point out, listeners, uh, Mark nodded profusely when I mentioned that Sharpie and Chris Little should stay as well. Um, uh, I think that's it in terms of some of the big stuff, Mark. Uh, do we want to answer the million grumpy Ask HTHLs that we got from uh, Twitter in the last hour and a half? Um. I don't. I don't think so. We could save them for next time. Uh, I think it's a good idea to kind of like. I don't know. Why don't you pick your favorite, Matt? You're excited. You're excited for this. Like, why don't you pick one? Oh, oh, only pick one. You can do it, Matt. I, you can. You could show self restraint. You can handle it. Okay, but we're not going to podcast till the roster drops and everything. Mark, we have to do this for the people. Oh my god. Okay, we'll we'll do these like rapid fire. So like I'll take one, you take one and everything. Go. Uh Jason Maskwell asks, uh, why should fans care about the twenty twenty four season? Um, because you love the club and you don't want to abandon it because they might play all of the kids and everything. And Jason, let's be real, we all know that every single one of us is gonna get our hopes up in January and we're just following that triangle flow diagram and everything. Eric Stinson, is Porik looking at Chris Armas for the 2018 season? Mark, that's the year that he won the Supporter Shield with New York Red Bulls. Or is he ignoring the 2021 to 2023 failures or both? Definitely both. I mean, uh, or he's looking at it the way I said it, which is that it's a, it's a growth opportunity, that a growth mindset, you know, he, he probably asked the questions like, what did you learn the year that you, you know, <laughs> lost most of your games for Toronto? Like, those are... Those are valuable data points that are that are worth looking at, and and to the point that I made at the beginning about like it's hard to figure out what the Red Bulls experience was since tactically we're not sure uh, what Chris Armas thinks if he's not forced to do a high press. Uh, how does this hire Rapids Foreign Legion? How does this fire make the Colorado Rapids more competitive in a league in which the club continues to lose ground? I don't know Rapids Foreign Legion. It's not obvious to me that Chris Armis in the past really punched above his weight. I think you're hoping the leadership is really good and that he fits in from a style of play, both the transition stuff and in possession, and you play a bunch of young kids, and maybe this is a rebuild, and maybe we're worried about being not crap in 2025 and then competitive in 2026. Uh, Wanners, what on earth were they thinking? Uh, Mark, are we assuming that's rhetorical? I think that's rhetorical. Uh, yes, okay. we, we, we mostly are. But I do think that they were thinking, like I said before, that like um, these were the players, these were the folks who were available, and um, they, they are, they think there's something, there's, they think there's something Chris Armas can bring this team that nobody else can. We will find out whether this is the a good, a, a decent idea or the worst idea ever. Or they think that he can bring something better than any of the other candidates who were willing to take the job then, Mark. Yeah, I mean, it's it could be worse. It could be Kurt Anolfo. It could be Dom Kinnear. It could be some coaches who are legit washed. Of course, they didn't apply because they are, you know, kind of doing something else right now. But like, you know, Chris Armis is not... Um, you know, a a, a, a a tire with no tread. He's a tire with some tread left, and we're going to see if he can, you know, make 500 turns at, at Indianapolis. 
uh, Mountain State trolling us with a uh, why were all, why were there all them dead birds in the parking lot when I showed up for work that morning at the former Rocky Mountain Arsenal Chemical Women's Plant in the 1970s? Uh, Mountain State, I don't know that OSHA existed in the 1970s or it wasn't the same. If it was the early 1970s, this would have been pre Clean Water Act and Clean Air Act, which. Uh, initiated the existence of the EPA. There were probably horrible chemicals, some of which were carcinogenic, in the water, the air, in the soil, and everything. Uh, and that was the uh, the spring of no songs because all of the bird shell eggs were super thin, and none of the birds hatched, and they all died. Um, Scott Hammond asks, uh, over under on games before he's fired, it's actually really tough because how long will Porik try to hang on before acknowledging that he effed up again and his job is now toast as well? I will put it at 34 over under. Mark, will Chris Armas still be the head coach of the Colorado Rapids for the season opener in 2025? Yeah, I'm taking the over. I think you get, but I always think that you get two years. What do you think, Matt? I would agree. I think on on some level, Scott, we have to acknowledge this takes time. If this is a rebuild, then I think he has to be given the year. And if you see progress by the final quarter of the first year, then that's enough to give him the second. Absolutely. And I also think we have to acknowledge kind of similar to the situation with Kevin Cabral, like a having such a short hook on Chris Armis would ha- have to be on some level would have to be Porik acknowledging that he messed up a coaching hire or put that coach in a position to fail something I think he did with all three of his previous permanent head coaches to some extent and so then that is an acknowledgement of his own failure in the same way that buying out Kevin Cabral tomorrow on some level is an admission that trading for him was a bad idea or that having him at the club was a bad idea you you fire Chris Armis you're basically saying well I messed up again i'm not good at hiring head coaches please god let him fi- let him hi- let him buy out kevin cabral yes uh dustin asks uh, who is the secret fourth candidate so as i mentioned earlier dustin i am of the oppression there were actually um five finalists i want to believe that efren juarez was the um was uh the fourth in there as well as the previous uh external reporting that we've gotten on armis little and pamoduka um, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. We, uh, As I've reported, that was not Jack Wilshire. Um, I will say, since I've seen not this from Ask HTHL, but a bunch of people, Mark, are making assumptions that nobody else wanted the job or that the other finalists all turned it down, including Chris Little. Um, uh, Chris Armas was the top candidate coming out of the uh, final interviews uh, with the finalists and everything. Armas was the one that they wanted as well. Make of that what you will, listeners. I might have just made you rage quit this podcast. Uh, Matthew Wick. Me too. <laughs> Matthew Wick asks, uh, what do we know about Armas's coaching tactics history uh, that can start to give an idea of what next season's roster will look like and play like? Matthew, I think we've already answered that. Feel free to DM us if you want more context. Uh, Daddy Shuttle, uh, what was Armis our first and only, or was our first choice or only choice? Just answered that. I believe he was the first choice coming out of the finalists. I do not know if he was the favorited finalist coming out of the previous round and into the final round, though. Um, and then Daddy Shuttle's second question, how do the Rapids expect to compete in a league where other teams are actually investing into the club to be successful and push the MLS ceiling higher? Mark, I'm not convinced that... Um, 
I still think they're going to try and moneyball it a little bit. And the where I do have concern about where this roster is, you're locked into all three of the DPs. I'm convinced one of them's really bad. I'm convinced one of them, Andreas Maxu, is okay but not worth a DP tag and TBD on Rafael Navajo. So, uh, Daddy Shuttle, you're hoping that um, Navajo is a $10 million player that the Rapids are getting at a $5 million evaluation. Um, CFC uh, Wombo asks, uh, what's the best way to burn my season ticket? Uh, Mark, I know you're not the arsonist in the on the pod, but what do you think? Um, I would I would pre- prepare a, a, a nice mesquite wood chip uh, barbecue grill and and then go with a pure wood fire. Um, potentially, like in the cold, uh, you know, maybe with a, a few split logs in the back, with like a nice solo stove, smokeless setup in the back. Um, or just, you know, go camping in the, in the woods and, and build a little fire. Uh, uh, but just bring some, something with like a cherry aroma, you know, something, something nice and, and, and floral, something with a bouquet, uh, uh, a nose to it. Okay. Um, I should point out, uh, CFC underscore Wombo, uh, please abide by the fire rules and all and everything. Uh, I'm not sure if we're in a, like a no burn and everything, like please do so in a legal sure. manner, regardless of your, um, choice <laughs> of how to burn your season tickets. And then also Mark, I think they're getting them downloaded now. So I think like you'd be burning your phone or like printing out the email confirmation and then burning that paper. Uh, wouldn't recommend I love how literal you are, Matt. I love how literal you are. You are an engineer through and through. <laughs> uh, Jody Robbins asks, uh, my question is f this um not really a question there jody uh dm us if you want us to elaborate is f this uh <laughs> so uh the question actually ends in a period after this mark um and he does nice. type it out uh blue city radio what's up blue city radio um who do you think armis beat out in the competition for the job couldn't have been a long list we mentioned it uh jared thornberg asks more or less than five wins in 2024 mark i just looked this up the rapids had four wins in the regular season so jared i'm going to assume that's mls not all comps so we're not giving the plus two to the open cup mark more or less than five wins in 2024 yeah i think we'll get eight you know i think i think this team will be in the perennial like especially if they keep the playoff format similar to what they did this year i think that we'll we're very likely to have a team that uh, th- that is in the running for the playoffs, even though they aren't very good for either all or most of the season. The Colorado Rapids will get more than we'll get at least six wins as well. Um, Judgmental Jim asking, uh, "What? Why the heck did we hire Chris Armas?" Nuff said, "Jim, I just wanted to. <laughs> I purely wanted the excuse to add some love. I, I simply wanted to say Nuff said on the podcast." Gonna nice. be honest with you. Let me make sure we didn't get any quote tweets. Um, Impressive, Matt. That's a you did good. We did good on the rapid fire. I thought this was gonna take seven and a half hours. No, <laughs> we, we ripped through it. Uh, let me make sure there wasn't any that were using the hashtag AskHTHL but didn't respond in the comments, and there weren't Mark. And then we did get one quote tweet on that. Let me check that really quickly. Uh, here it is. Oh, so it wasn't a question. Um, so Brendan Plone just giving us some love, Mark, uh, saying this has to be an HTHL single episode record for the most questions on the pod. Kudos to <laughs> Goating for these pros fans. 
Um, so I'm going to say, Mark, uh, I'm going to say two of those questions were rhetorical and not ones that we actually, um, not ones that were an actual question worth asking and everything. So, but I still think 12 ask HTHLs, that has to be a record. Maybe the one exception would have been, I think we did an all HTHL episode just for the lols during the COVID shutdown before the MLS is back tournament. So I will say under normal world and soccer operating circumstances, this is is uh, an Ask HDHL podcast record. So um, thank you to everybody who asked questions. Rabbi, shall we get out of here? Let's do it. Well done, Matthew. Okay. Um, listeners, follow us collectively on Twitter, soccer underscore rabbi, at LWS Matt Pollard, at Rapids96podcast. Email us at the at the uh, email address, rapids96podcast at gmail.com. Mark, I ran into a listener whose name I will give you. His business card is over on the other side of my desk. He said that he did not give his mug, and then we had one other outstanding that I was going to give my spare one, so we might have to sort some stuff out, but we'll, we will make the people whole who need to be made whole in that regard. Email us uh, if you have questions on that. Send us your questions like uh, all 12, 14 listeners did tonight using the hashtag AskHTH rate review share subscribe wherever you get your podcasts um what am i forgetting oh and then uh support us on our Substack, stack uh, holding the highline.substack.com you can read greater soccer musings uh not rapids related from pittsburgh soccer now for mark for me last word on sports.com backslash soccer and then still most of my rapids content will be at burgundy wave john babiak uh and i are brewing up a bunch of long form evergreen content ideas for the off season so um hopefully you will enjoy those just like you enjoyed my three thousand word article on all of the weather events in rapids history but um mark it was good to see you um i do not miss the doldrums of paying attention to a team that is bad that is sad to be bad but this is a wonderful excuse to re-talk to you and everything and you were wonderful in your pre-game talk when i was in a bit of a mood and everything and so i appreciate you as a friend um and it was good to see your smiling face again and hopefully we get to do this real soon with some good rapids news and i look forward to seeing you um on a weekly basis on the record um in 2024 but uh so listeners will say we when whatever the roster news drops and everything will be around for that um it might have to be a truncated weird variation of the pod for the super draft given the timing of that and we might have something somewhere buried in one of our external hard drives that's worth some evergreen holiday content as well so we'll see you before the end of um 2023 but um happy thanksgiving everybody peace good to see you soon Matt.